you get close to God. Ever thought about it? It's interesting what draws people away from God. There was a young couple at the at a congregation where I was preaching that told me they had the blessing of a new child coming. Isn't that wonderful? Well, the child was born, and she had to stay home with it for several weeks. Something was wrong, and he started staying home with her, and after a while, they just didn't, didn't come back. And when you would visit them, they'd give every kind of an excuse for not coming back to services. And here was a beautiful baby, and now they were far away from God. You'd think they would have gotten close to God, having had that child. And you wonder about things like that. I've had people tell me, I just don't get anything out of church. Well, that's possible. But maybe we haven't put anything into it either. And then there are those that Peter talked about just walk away and forget the commandment delivered to them and are like the animals. They return to their former natures. Second Peter 2, 20 through 22. I've seen people leave the Lord because of their work. They get involved with their work and they just sort of get away from church and God sort of takes a second place with them. But how do you get close to God and how do you stay close to God? I want you to read a couple of verses with me from the book of Ezra, and you may wonder why I'm starting there, but I'll try to make that clear in a moment. Because in the book of Ezra, we have the exact five steps in getting close to God. They're given here. And then the result of getting close to God is also stated in this book. Read with me from chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, this is 536 B.C., all right? And the Jews have been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. But now it's time to go home. And Cyrus is shown the Jeremiah scroll. And he reads in there that a hundred years before that, God, calling him by name, said he'd be the one to let them go home. That the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. That's through the Jeremiah scroll. That's how God does it that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven, notice he speaks about Israel's God, he knew who it was, hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth. God is theology, right? God does set up men and pull down men and set up kings and pull down kings. And he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. He didn't get that part right. It was the children of Israel who were to go back and build the house, but he was bragging about it because he was going to send them back which is in Judah. Now, did they go back? You know, when you're reading a history book like this, you think, why do I need to know all that history? Remember, when you're reading your Bible, God wants you to know what he put here for a reason. There's some reason that he told us this. I mean, why do I need to know about some Babylonian captivity, Jews coming back home? What does that have to do with me? A whole lot. Look at chapter 2. Now, these are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity. They got out of there, and they went back to Palestine. Of those which had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. You remember, he carried them away three times. He came in 606 B.C. He came in 597 B.C. And he came back in 586 B.C. And took all these people, starting with Daniel and the eunuchs, over to Babylon. Here they are in Babylon. And incidentally, all 12 tribes returned from Babylon. There's no such thing ever taught in Scripture as 10 lost tribes of Israel. The, the, the priesthood for the 12 tribes returned, and Ezra tells us that, Ezra 2.70. And so we know that all these children came back. But why is that important? Because it's an indication of the first step, brothers and sisters, in getting close to God. Let's go back, if you would, to Genesis 12 for a moment, and notice a promise that God made a millennium or two before this, almost two millenniums, to a man named Abram. 
This was the promise. Abram was living in Ur the Chaldees. And God had said to him, had said, you know, when he first told Abram to go to Palestine, Abram only went to the paid Aram, the Fertile Crescent up there. He didn't go all the way to Palestine. And he took some of his family with him. So the Bible says, God had said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred. Why would God order a man away from his family? God had instituted the family. But he orders Abram to get away from his family. Until I get to the book of Joshua and read chapter 24, verse 15, I don't know why that is. But when I read Joshua 24, 15, I find out that these people who were Abram's family were idolaters. And they worshiped gods on the other side of the great flood or the Euphrates River. He says, so get away from them and from thy father's house unto a land. You know where that land was? Palestine. That I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation. That happened. In Solomon's time, Israel ruled 66,000 square miles. And I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curses thee. And in thee, Abram, shall all families of the earth be blessed. Abram's seed would bless every family on the earth. Who is Abram's seed? Go read Galatians 3.16. That's the Christ. Abram, you go down there and through your seed, I'm going to bring a blessing in Palestine that will bless the whole world. But where are the Jews when we're reading Ezra 1-1? Over in Babylon. Where do they have to be for the seed promised to come? Palestine. And that's the first step in getting close to God. Listen carefully. Everyone who wants God's blessing has to be in the place where God can bless him. And unless the Jews go back to Palestine, there'll be no seed line. That's why the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and these other books are so important. They're telling us God kept his promise. That's why I need to know about this history. How did God work out the family tree of my master through all of these nations and all of these kings and all of these wars? He did it. That's the awesome God that you and I serve. But they have to go back to Palestine, brothers and sisters, or there's no Messiah. Let's go to Galatians, the third chapter, for a moment, and let's draw all of that thought together and see what it means to us. We have to be in the place, step number one, where God can bless us. Brother Bob, have you got your New Testament with you tonight? I figured out how to keep you awake. You told me to do that because you ate so much tonight. I got to get you. Barry's not here. We're going to start reading in verse 23. Okay, I was right. I know. Galatians 3.23. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wait, 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 wait. You just said before faith came. We were kept under the law. The law of Moses? Paul's writing, he says, before faith came. Well, Moses had to have personal faith in God, didn't he? Yes? Mm -hmm. Can you say yes? Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Did Joshua have personal faith in God? Yes. Well, then how can he say before faith came? We must be reading the word faith in a different sense here. And we are. 
Let's read it the way it means. This is a synecdoche for the whole gospel system. Before the gospel system came, we were kept under the law. Shut up unto, what's your Bible say, Bob? Shut up unto the faith we should afterwards See the article be revealed. The faith, go ahead. go ahead. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. What was that first step in getting close to God? You have to beware in the place where God can bless you. Now he says here we're justified by faith. But he doesn't mean because you believed in your head that Jesus is the Christ that you are justified. He means you're justified by the New Testament system called faith. The whole gospel system that puts you in a place where God can bless you. Watch, let's read. Watch what he says. But after that faith has come, but after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So you and I are not under the law of Moses. Go ahead. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Notice that. By faith. Now notice where it's located. Notice where that gospel system is located. In Christ Jesus. What was that first point I was making? In order to be blessed of God, you have to be in the place where God can bless you. Where is that system of faith that blesses us? In whom? What's your Bible say? In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Go ahead. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Is there an English teacher here tonight? I want you to see the difference between in and into. It's extremely important. If you're here tonight and not in Christ, notice the difference here. He says that faith system is located in Christ. That's where it is. But how do I get into Christ? If I, I have a pond on my property, if I'm standing on the bank of that pond, I cannot jump in the water. Now you might say it that way, but it's ungrammatical. In order to jump in the water, I have to be in the water. Are you following me? You have to be in the water. Well, how do I get into the water from the bank? I jump into it. You can't face into Christ. That's where that system of faith is. You have to be baptized into Christ so you can be in the place where God can bless you. That's the first step to getting close to God. You have to be where He can bless you. You're outside of Christ tonight, there's no blessing. There's no blessing. Now watch him draw it all together in verse 29. Here. 28 says, there's neither. 29, don't be 28. Okay. All right. And if you be Christ. If you be Christ, you're in him now. Then are ye Abraham's seed. Whose seed? Abraham's seed. What was the promise to Abraham? That in his seed, all the nations would be blessed, right? So why did those Jews have to go back to Palestine? If they don't, there's no blessing. And if you're not in Christ tonight, there's no blessing. Nothing. In fact, God can't even see you. You're hidden by your sin. But if you be Christ, and heirs according to the promise, if you be Christ, then you're in the place where God can bless you. Thank you, Bob. You've done good. Don't you tell my students I said you've done good. Tell them I said you did good. Are you in Christ tonight? Let's go back to Ezra. First step, I have to be in the place where God can bless me. Is Ezra in the Old Testament? Let's notice now chapter 3. Second step in getting close to God. After the children of Israel came back from captivity and came into the land, no temple 
No place to worship. So what do they set out doing? Verse chapter 3, And when the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. There have been estimates that about 50,000 Jews came back from captivity. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brethren the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of God, of the God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Now what was that altar? Drop down there to verse 5. And afterward offered the continual burnt offering, both of the new moons and of all the set feasts of the Lord. Watch what he calls that altar. That were consecrated and of everyone that willingly offered a free will offering unto the Lord. Once I come into Christ, I need to build a spiritual altar of consecration. Paul said it this way. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living offering, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Romans 12. I have to offer me to God. That burnt offering altar represented an atonement for the people. And in essence, the animal was representing them. Well, in the Christian dispensation, I have to offer me. This is all I can give God, is, is this person right here but I have to consecrate me to him. I think I said this the other day, but there has to be a time once we become a Christian when we tell the Father we're his, that everything we ever have or ever will have is his, and that we understand that in our hearts, and that everything we ever do will be for him and to his glory. Isn't that what the Lord said? That men may see your good works, Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Have you built your altar of consecration? You know why a lot of folks are far away from God? They've never offered themselves to Him. I can't uh, use somebody uh, in my work that won't go to work. People who hire employees fire them when they don't work. Well, when I go to work for God, that's because I've offered myself to Him. Now watch step number three. Look at verse six. From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings. They built that altar of consecration. You see, they came into the place where God could bless them. Then they built the altar of consecration. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. Oh, how many times have I seen this happen to a new Christian? He's all excited. He's baptized into Christ. God is blessing him. He's offered himself to God, but then he just sits down and never goes to work. And brothers and sisters, that's step number three in getting close to God. You've got to go to work for the Lord. Look at the rest of that verse 8 there. Now in the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month began Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all they that were come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward for what reason, Ezra? To set forward the work of the house of the Lord. My friend Johnny Ramsey out in Texas told me a story about a lady who called him one day complaining that nobody in the church ever visited her. She said, I'm here all by myself. Nobody ever comes by to see me. Brother Ramsey, in his unique way, said to her, Sister, you make me sick. I don't recommend preachers say that to brethren and sisters, but he did. 
He said, go out in your kitchen and bake a cake or a pie for somebody in the neighborhood that's sick and please leave me alone. I'm up the phone. Sunday came and she went right to Brother Ramsey. She said, Brother Ramsey, do you know how angry I was when you hung up that phone? He said, no. She said, thank you. I did for some reason what you told me to do and that's one of the best days I've had in years. You want to get close to God? Go to work for him. I have no idea how people can remain faithful who aren't working for the Lord. Just sitting on the premises rather than standing on the promises? I don't know. We've got to go to work. There's something you can do, brother. There's something you can do, sister. Can you make a phone call? Can you encourage someone? Can you give a little bit to a missionary? Can you help a man go to preacher school? Can you write a note? Our ladies' class at South Haven, every time they met, they wrote notes to people who'd visited or were delinquent or sick or whatever. You can do that. There's something you can do for the Lord. I don't want you to give this eldership here a heart attack, but on, on Sunday, uh, just go up to the elders and say, what can I do? They'll put you to work. They'll put you to work. You can also talk to your neighbors about Jesus. You can go to work. It will make you happy. When you're at work for the Lord, I mean, that makes worship all that much better. So what were those three steps now? You have to be in the place where God can bless you. You have to build that altar of consecration, and you have to go to work for Christ. But let me warn you about something. This is step number four. If you do all those things, I mean, here you are in Christ. What a blessing. You've accepted God's gracious gift. You know he loves you. And you have offered yourself to him, and you've gone to work for him let me tell you what's going to happen. The devil is going to come after you as he does no one else. He's going to try everything he knows, congregation, brother and sister, elder, deacon. He's going to try everything he knows to discourage you. He's going to use anybody he can to discourage you. Look at chapter 4. Now when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity built the temple unto the Lord God of Israel. Now I want you to notice Satan's tactics here. Watch what he does. And when I know this, I can get close to God. I can resist the devil and he'll flee from me. But watch his tactics. Then they, these people in the land who weren't Jews, came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you. Watch their tactic. For we seek your God as ye do. How many times have I heard the devil say that to a member of the church? Why, we're all trying to go to heaven. We're just going by different roads. We seek your God as you do. That's his first tactic. And he will come after new members of the church like that as hard as he can. Because he knows they're not quite strong enough to stand up to that kind of a challenge. It makes me feel bad to know people aren't going to heaven. Doesn't it make you feel bad? And I don't want to think about it. But I have to think about it and I have to try to tell them what God said. But here he comes. Why, Keith, I don't know what you're upset about. We're seeking God the way you did. Oh, no. I want you to see what Zerubbabel said to them. Look at verse 3. He said, you have nothing to do with us to build in house unto our God. But we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel. I've always admired that about the Church of Christ, even before I was converted, that we never ask the world for funds to do our work. We do it ourselves. That's what God told us to do. Well, you think the devil will stop when he tries to tell you Something like you think you're the only ones going to heaven? No, he won't stop there. He'll try another tactic if that doesn't work. Look at verse 4. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. I don't know what they did. 
Did they steal their materials? Did they uh, steal their instruments? I don't know, but they troubled them. And when that didn't work, they got a lawyer. In fact, they got several lawyers. And they hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. They wrote a letter to the new king of Persia. His name was Darius. And they said, where is the authority to build the temple over here? Darius couldn't find it. And so he ordered the work stopped. Let me tell you how successful the devil was on this occasion. That work stopped for 16 years. No temple being built. The devil seemed to have his way. Step number four, you beware that he's coming. And he is going to use anybody, a friend, a mate, a co-worker, classmate, anybody he can to talk you out of being faithful to God. But you hang in there, my friend, because there's a way to beat him. Step number five, chapter five. Step number five. Look at the verse, first verse. Look what God did when the people had had their work stopped for 16 years. He sent them two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai said, why do you sit idle when the Lord's temple isn't built? And Zechariah gave them eight visions. In each vision it says, God's in your midst, why not go to work? So what did God do when the people were troubled by the devil? He sent them the Bible. He sent them the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo. Oh, how wonderful that is. My master taught me that. You remember when the devil came against him? And the devil said, turn those stones into bread. And Christ said, uh, well, let me use a direct divine power here and stop that. No, he said, it is written. What did you say, master? It's written. You know what he used to defeat the devil? He said, it's written. You know what he used to defeat the devil? He said, it's written again. I'll tell you what, when I get troubled... I've got to go read Hosea. You talk about a troubled prophet who was treated badly by his own wife. But oh, what a great man he was and how he conquered his situation. I've got to go read about Amos who was told to quit preaching up north and go back to the south where he belonged. And I've got to be, read about Jeremiah, who got so discouraged, he finally said, I'm going to start a motel. That's what he said. He said, I'm going to start an inn for wayfaring strangers. That's the way the King James has it. That's a motel, isn't it? Or a hotel. He got so discouraged, he's going to quit preaching. But you know what he said? I can't. It's like a fire in my bones. I can't contain it. What do you do when the trouble comes, when the devil's after you, when things aren't going right in life? Get out your Bible. Read the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Watch what the psalmist says. I shall not want. He decided because the Lord was his shepherd, he wasn't going to want a thing. He was satisfied in Christ. What happens if you get into Christ tonight? In the place where God can bless you. Well, we're going to suggest that you build an altar of consecration immediately afterwards. We're going to suggest that you go to work for the Lord and we're going to warn you that when you do that, the devil is going to come after you as hard as he can. How many times have we seen churches that were doing great work suddenly split by somebody who's upset or something else? That's the devil at work. And so we go to the book. We get back to God's word and we get encouraged again. 
Let me show you the result of all that. Look at chapter 6. There's a great word here in chapter 6, verse 16. They got back to work finally and built the temple. And they had a dedication service. And the Bible says at verse 16, And the children of Israel, the priests, and the Levites, and the rest of the children of the captivity kept the dedication of this house of God with joy. Oh, I love that. Joy. Did you hear about those two ladies who were standing in paradise? And they were just in awe of the glory. Just looking around at all the glory. And one of them said, you know what? If we hadn't eaten all that oat bran, we could have been here eight years earlier. Joy. Think about it. Are you in Christ tonight? God can't bless you outside of him. He wants to bless you. He just can't. That's his law. That's his rule. The blessing is in Christ. How do I get into Christ? I repent of my sins. I confess his name. I'm baptized into him. Romans 6, 3 and 4. And brothers and sisters, let me encourage you as a church. Offer yourselves to God. I don't know what he has in mind for the Oxford Church of Christ. If he didn't want it here, it wouldn't be here. But he does want it here. It's here. But he's got a desti destiny for you. Go to work for him. And when you get discouraged, get out the book. All the answers are there. And the promise is, the joy awaits. Are you his tonight? If not, come while we stand, while we sing.